Hey, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood. You can tell I've got a little bit of a cold. My voice is scratchy, but hey, we're talking about cool stuff, right? I've got a guest here. It is Lucas Paganini. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick and we'll uh, dive in and talk? Sure, sure. Awesome. First, Charles, thanks for being the invite. I have to say that this is actually my first podcast, so I'm very excited. And this is a podcast that I had listened to many episodes in the past, so it was very it was a very happy surprise for me to get invited to that. So thank you so much for the, the invitation. And yeah, so my name is Lucas Paganini. I have been working with Angular since 2017, so near the release of Angular 4. Some people feel old by realizing that individuals born in the year 2000 are already 22 years old. I feel old by admitting that I've started at Angular 4 and we're already at Angular 14. Uh, currently, I run through two projects. So I am a content creator. I have a team. I don't do that alone. And with my team, we create in-depth educational content about web development in the form of articles and YouTube videos. Our articles are published in my personal website, lucaspaganini.com. And my YouTube channel is under my name, also Lucas Paganini. Eventually, we will create paid content, but currently all our content is 100% free. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through m- most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. On YouTube, we have more than, I think we broke, we hit 250,000 views last week. And we have videos going from 50, like a 45 minute video as a crash course on TypeScript narrowing to a 10 minute video on how to organize front end projects for scalability. So I run that as a content creator. And I am also the CEO of Unvoid. So Unvoid is a remote company that provides software and design services to a small number of clients in the United States. And being a remote company, we could provide our services to companies anywhere in the world. But so far, we haven't had clients outside of the U.S. yet. So it's more of a coincidence and the fact that the U.S. generally is able to to pay more. And we're basically a software house, right? So it's a similar business to uh, software mm-hmm. or design agencies. Clients hire us to design and develop websites and web applications. It's not always a project starting from scratch. Many companies already have a product and this product usually has a great backend when you're talking about tech startups. But most great tech startups, they don't have an excellent front end. I don't know if you noticed that trend, but there are excellent tech companies that have an awesome back end. But sometimes the uh-huh. front end experience, the thing that the end user actually interacts with, is not in the same level in the, of the back end. So this is the, the issue that we solve. We are very specialized in the front end. So we can do an awesome design and we have the necessary knowledge in software development to actually execute that design without 
compromising it. So that's right. basically what what I do. So content creation and this company called Unvoid. Gotcha. Very cool. Where are you based out of? I am based in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh, okay. For my whole life. That makes sense. It also makes sense uh, servicing U.S. companies since you're pretty close to the same time zones and stuff. I know that's yes. been an issue for other places I've worked and stuff. So Yeah, that's true. That's one of the differentials, right? Because when U.S. companies try to outsource to other countries, they hit this huge problem, which is the time zone. So if you try to outsource to Asia or to Europe, then you have huge gaps in your time zones and you can't always communicate with the client when they need you. So we don't have that problem being in Brazil. And we still have the benefits of a weaker currency, right? So Mm -hmm. U.S. companies can still pay less and get quality and, and don't have issues with the time zone. Yeah, makes sense. Well, that that's cool. Man, I'd love to just go into that more with you, but uh, maybe we'll do that another time. We'll dive into the whole uh, outsourcing across borders or whatever. But yeah, we brought you on today to talk about one of the articles that you wrote. You said you have a content team, so maybe you had help on this, but it was interesting. It was the automatically unsubscribing observables on Destroy, and that got some attention of some folks uh, on my end. And so we invited you on to talk a little bit about it, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where you want to start. So if you want to just kind of, we, I think we have more time available to us than is, than would, than it would take to dive into the ins and outs of this particular thing. So we can expand a little bit. So, so let's start wherever you want and then we'll kind of go from there. Definitely. I 100% agree with you. If I just, for the listeners that want to check out the original article, there's also a video format and the video is less than two minutes long. So if we wanted to just talk about that, it would be a very short podcast. But I I thought about that too. And I thought, hey, instead of just giving the audience my solution to that specific problem, which is automatically unsubscribing to observables when the component is destroyed, instead of just talking about that, I can talk about how my solution works and also other ways to do the same thing. Because that way, the listeners can mm-hmm. understand it further and maybe they can apply it to other scenarios. I know that I have other places where I could use the same logic that I that I applied here. So it can be used to solve other issues. So I think that's more valuable to the audience than just talking about that particular thing. And yeah, so so let's get into it. Before we start, it's funny that I always post my content first on YouTube in the video format. And then uh-huh. I make an article about it and I put it in lucasfarini.com and also Medium. And that particular article got a lot of traction on Medium. And with the traction, I got comments from people suggesting other ways of dealing with the same issue. Right. I think that's true for any tech articles, right, Charles? Like every time you post a oh, yeah. people are going to comment, like I would do differently. And that's fine. Will people have um, opinions on the internet? No. <laughs> You see, man. <laughs> I've never experienced that, but you know. That was a surprise to me too. And what happened is I had many comments saying that we should just use the async pipe on Angular if you want to manage uh-huh. observables and automatically unsubscribe to them on destroy. And my answer to that is that it's absolutely correct. That is the best way, at least the way that I would most recommend. The mm-hmm. problem is we're not always in the template, right? 
So if you are in the template and you just want to pipe async to handle an observable, that's great. That's the easiest way to do it because it's natively supported by Angular. It has docs. It's the popular solution. You don't have to install or do anything else. It already comes with the framework. So of course, that's the best solution. But there are two scenarios, at least that I can think of, where this would not be such an easy decision. The first is... Well, of course, when you're not in the template, right? So what if you want Uh to automatically unsubscribe on destroy, but you're just in TypeScript, you're not in the HTML template. That's one situation where you can't use the async pipe. And the other is when you need a middle step to get to the async pipe. Like sometimes I would hope that the audience not get that, but I think that they're going to understand what I mean. When you're working in a legacy code base, sometimes you can't just go directly to the solution that you know is the best one. So the code uh-huh. sometimes is so messy that you need a middle step before you get to the final solution. So before you refactor everything to use the async pipe, you also need something to use in the in this middle scenario where, while you're refactoring everything. And that's where the solution that I propose really shines. So uh-huh. uh, we'll get to, to to my solution in a second. But as promised, I think that we can talk about how I got there. So we would have to talk about the dependency injector now. So basically, the dependency injector, as the audience should know, is a fundamental concept in the Angular framework. It is responsible for providing dependencies where they are needed. So, for example, you wrote a messaging service and it depends on an email service. So you use the Angular dependency injector to provide the email service inside the messaging service. Nothing here is Uh news. The audience probably already knows all that, but bear with me for one minute because we will go deeper into the concepts here. There are two roles in the dependency injection system. We have the dependency provider and the dependency consumer. We can't consume if there's no provider. You can try it out to see what I mean. If you just use the at injectable decorator in a class, but don't provide it anywhere, you will get an error when you attempt to inject that class in a consumer. I know this all sounds obvious, but when people Uh start working with Angular, there's this boilerplate when creating a service, which is at injectable provided in root, right? I'm sure the audience is familiar with that. Maybe some listeners have typed this boilerplate five or even 10 times just today. That boilerplate works, right? And it is what you want in 99% of the cases. Mm -hmm. So it becomes so common that people don't stop to understand what's actually happening under the hood. And that's why I'm taking us back to the concepts. So we have the dependency provider, dependency consumer. For you to consume, you first have to provide it. But how can you provide a dependency? And then, oh, that's obvious. You just gave away the answer. You just have to add provided in root. Yeah. Right. One way of doing it. It's not the only way. According to the Angular docs, there are three ways of providing a dependency. Mm. The first is at the application root level, which is what we do when we use provided in root. But we can also provide something at the ng module level. And lastly, There's also the directive and component level. And that one, the fact that we can provide something at the component level, this is what allowed me to find a way to automatically unsubscribe to observables when my component Uh is destroyed without having to write ng-undestroy and without extending any other classes. And by the way, that list, that three-item list is not, it is complete and not complete at the same time because 
We can also provide dependencies in the platform level, which is above the root level. But in a way, both the root and the application levels are simply ng modules. So the only thing that makes them special is that they are way up in the injector hierarchy. So right. at the end, we only have two, really, we only have two ways, right? We have, we can provide at the ng module level or at the component or directive level. But we can talk about the app, the uh, platform and root levels later because I think that's a topic in itself, right? I don't want to confuse the audience by getting into that. Mm-hmm. And well, okay, so let's clarify like in practical terms what it means to provide a dependency in each of those three levels. Right. If you provide in the root level, that means providing in the app module, the app module, mm-hmm. which is the initial module that contains everything. By the way, in earlier versions of Angular, maybe the audience is familiar with that, we didn't have provided in root. What you would have to do is go in the app module and actually add what you wanted to provide in the list of providers of the app module. So that was clearer. It was clearer that the thing was being provided in the app module. And Mm -hmm. then we came up with provided in root, but it's functionally the same thing. There, There is a benefit to using provided in root, which is that Angular can tree shake it. So if you don't use the dependency, Angular removes it from the bundle at the end. So it becomes smaller. But having a service that you are writing provided in root is the same thing as going in the app module and adding that service to the list of providers of the ng module, the corrector. And by doing that, the service, the dependency becomes available to everything that is inside the app module. But it so happens that your whole application is inside the app module. So this ends up creating a singleton, a single instance of that dependency available for the whole application. So that's the the first level, uh, providing in the root level. Then we can go to the second level, which is when you provide a dependency in the ng module. Everything Mm -hmm. that is inside the module gets this dependency. So let's say that you have an accounts module and you provide a dependency there. Everything that is inside accounts will have that dependency, but everything that is outside will not have it. Right. And the same thing goes for component and directive. Everything that is inside the component or the directive gets this dependency. An important note here to have a clearer understanding of what the, how we can leverage that to create something that will automatically unsubscribe to observables when the component is destroyed is that the dependency lives as long as the provider lives. That's right. the secret. So if you provide something on root when the whole application gets destroyed, the dependencies will get destroyed too. If you provide something in an ng module, like accounts module, when the accounts module is destroyed, every dependency provided by the module is also destroyed. And when you provide something in the component level, when the component is about to get destroyed, the providers of that component are also destroyed. So that's the the secret. Like just Mm -hmm. saying that I basically spoiled the solution, right? Right. And so what you can do from there is you can, knowing that you can create a service that you provide in a component Uh and then you listen to when the service is destroyed. Because when the component is about to be destroyed, the service gets destroyed first. Right. But it's very close to each other. So it's basically the same thing. The moment in which the service gets destroyed 
is practi practically the same as when the component is destroyed. It happens a little bit earlier because the dependencies are destroyed before the component is destroyed, before the provider, but it's, it's basically at the same time. It's just a matter of the order of execution of functions. And knowing that, we can leverage the lifecycle hooks of a service. So a component mm -hmm. has many lifecycle hooks. We have ngon init, ngon destroy, after view init. A service doesn't have all that, but the service has one single lifecycle hook, and that's all we need. Right. <laughs> that's yep. perfect, which is ngon destroy. So we have all the pieces of the puzzle. We have the life cycle of a service that tells us when the service is about to be destroyed. And we uh -huh. know that if we provide a service in a component, when the component is about to be destroyed, the service is destroyed. So that was my idea. I created a service called unsubscriber service. Uh, this service emits a value when the, when the service is about to be destroyed when ngon destroy is called in the service. And I listen right. to that in the component, in the component that is providing that. And I can use the taken to operator from RxJS uh -huh. to complete and unsubscribe to my observables when the service emits an event saying that it will be destroyed. Right. That's the secret. And from there, you can create more abstractions. So for example, right. I created a method in the service that already has the taken to operator, so I don't have to import takeUntil from RxJS all the time. I already have a method in the service called takeUntilDestroy. So imagine uh -huh. that you have a property that contains a property in your component that contains a observable. You can, from that property, you can do a dot pipe. You can pipe that observable and you can uh -huh. add unsubscriber service dot takeUntilDestroy. Done. You don't have to write anything else. This observable will automatically complete and unsubscribe when the component is destroyed to be right. actual, like when the service is destroyed, but the service is provided by the component. So uh -huh. when the component is destroyed, the service is destroyed too. Basically the same thing. Right. So this is how the magic works. Awesome. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question, and then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and 
and make friends and and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Yeah. So one thing that I'm not clear about is, and and mostly it's just because when I'm writing Angular, I'm not really thinking about it. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if I destroy a, an observable, I, I just don't do anything. Right. So, so what actually happens if I just, if I destroy it, but don't, does it not automatically unsubscribe? What do you mean by destroying? Well, when you were talking about, in fact, I, I tend not to do that either, right? But the article is about, you know, you unsubscribe observables on destroy. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, most of the time I just, if, if I remove a component, you know, or hide it or something like that, I just kind of leave everything on. Mm-hmm. Am I doing it wrong or... Yeah, actually, you are. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just leave it, right? I just, it's like, okay, it's, it's, yeah, I don't see it anymore, so I don't think about it, right? Okay. Sorry for the bad news, but yeah, the problem is that you can have memory leaks, right? Uh huh. If your application lives long enough, and you have too many observables, they stay there because their subscriptions are still active. So you can, I got you. You can create a component and use the timer function from uh-huh. RxJS to emit a value every second. Right. And then you can subscribe to it and console log every time that it emits a value. Even uh-huh. when you destroy the component, it's still logging the numbers. So it's still there. If you I do gotcha. a memory profile, you will see that the observable is still there and it's consuming resources. Uh-huh. Um, it's just that most times, most applications don't use observables that much. I know that this is weird because we're talking about Angular and Angular uses observables for everything. But we don't use observables for everything. Like if you were using NGRX uh, Uh or any other data store management that uses observables, then I think this issue would become more apparent because you would have components like listening to all the users in the system, listening to all the assets in the system uh, from a data store and the components are destroyed, but the observables are still there. Subscribe. So you would notice the application getting slower. And that that would be one of the causes to it. I'm sure there, there are others too, like just using the automatic change detection from Angular is also a huge performance bottleneck. Uh, using mm-hmm. push is also a huge thing that you can do. But those memory leaks, they also aggregate and they become this monster that eventually the application is so slow. But if you reload, it's all good again. So this is why. Right. Okay. The solutions this far, uh, the solutions already already exist, right? Even if right. you read the, the Angular docs, maybe they have updated the docs. But I remember that I, I was once reading it and they had examples where they were saving the subscription so that mm-hmm. on engine destroy, they could call and subscribe. Okay. That's the default approach. Most right. developers, their components have subscriptions already, mm-hmm. which yep. is a, a property with all the subscriptions that they did. And they have an engine destroy that is basically a for each 
in that array and unsubscribing <laughs> to all of those subscriptions. That yeah. dude, that used to drive me nuts. I was like, oh, I hate typing that because I was just copy and pasting that everywhere. But the solutions that I could think of were all bad. For example, uh-huh. the most obvious solution, and it's a it's a shoot in your foot, but it's more like a, a shotgun in your foot is right. creating a base component class and all components extend that class. I've seen that happening many times. It hurts to remember <laughs> because this becomes such a monster later on. It starts by, oh, I have this logic here, which is saving uh-huh. the subscriptions and unsubscribing to them on Angel Destroy. I have it on, on almost all components. So what if I use object-oriented programming to solve this? I can just create a base component class that has this logic. Right. I extend this class everywhere. I'm good. It does work when you implement, which is an, another huge problem, which is it works so you think it's all good. But there are many downsides. So... Some of them are that, well, when you extend a base component class that has engine destroy, you if you try to use engine destroy on your component, you overwrite the right. parent class engine destroy. So if you're overriding it, you would have to remember to call the engine destroy on the parent <laughs> class. You could call super dot engine destroy. Right. But you know that people are gonna forget that eventually, and then. Boom, the logic that you had to deal with memory leaks is gone. That's the, the first thing. Like, right. It's so easy to accidentally remove logic because you over you had to overwrite the engine destroy method. Uh-huh. That's the first issue. Another issue is that sometimes you do have to extend a class from a library. Like There are third-party right. libraries that you have to extend a class to implement it in your component. I try to avoid those libraries, to be honest. I always prefer composition over inheritance. But right, some I do too. Libraries, yeah, but some third-party libraries don't give you that option. Sometimes you have to extend a class. And they right. can't because you're already extending the base component Something class. Else, so you yeah. have to somehow make that class extend the base component class so that you can extend the class that it already became hell. And the right. third issue is that it never stops at the initial problem that it was intended to solve. As soon as you have the base component class, right now, it may only handle unsubscriptions on destroy. Uh But if you take a vacation and look at it when you're back, it's going to have more things because you're basically giving permission to all the developers on your team to say, hey, we have this base component class. So everything that you want to reuse, just throw it up here. And then, it, not even joking, it can become a 1,000 or more class, oh, a 1,000 lines of code class. Right. I've seen that happening. I respect I love that. maintaining those. A- <laughs> those are so fun. What the flip is going on here? <laughs> that, was, that was indeed the feeling. I had a yeah. situation where the component would extend a class that was responsible for list components. So imagine that you have mm-hmm. many page-level components that right. just show a list of assets. So uh-huh. they abstracted that into a list component. So all the page-level components that had some kind of list of things that they would show, they would extend uh-huh. this list component. And this list component would extend a base component, 
So it was indeed very hard to refactor that and to justify it, right? Because it takes away time off the business. So it, the business, the company needs to spend money to fix those things. And sometimes they're like, but it's working. Why do you want me to put a developer to rewrite 300 components just so that they don't use inheritance? How can you justify that to the business owners? And it's, it's really hard, right? So you have to lean on future issues like, oh, this is a tech depth. If you keep that, the team, the development team will become slower mm-hmm. and slower, and then it will become more expensive to develop. Right. So, but it's so hard to just That's the definition that. of technical debt, right? That stuff that slows the dev team down. It's funny because folks are like, I talk to people about this and not, not this particular instance, but yeah, it's, it's a, hey, it makes it harder to reason about, and that's your technical debt. They they put technical debt as, hey, we want to upgrade to the newest version of whatever, and it's like, yeah, but that's not affecting your team. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, that's that's where the rubber meets the road. It's funny that you said that developers sometimes confuse tech debt with upgrading to the latest versions of all the dependencies, yeah. because I think that's a great hook for us to go into a different solution that developers could have for this issue of unsubscribing to observables on destroy. And this solution uh-huh. was only introduced on Angular 14. So okay. you have to be on the latest version to, to have that. There we go. And Let's mash the FOMO button a few more times. <laughs> exactly. So if you're not listening to all the episodes of Adventures in Angular, as soon as they are released, right. you're missing out. Wait, I mean... You could have yep. triple your salary if you knew all the latest deck. So keep up, folks. You have to listen to the episodes as soon as they are released. You um, said it, so I don't have to put a disclaimer on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here to help, man. <laughs> That's right. So, Okay, so what happens is Angular 14 introduced a lot of things. I hate this logo that I'm about to say, but Angular 14 was... A game changer. A game changer is such a Ooh. yeah, such a sales slogan, but it is because it does have some things that change the way that you code your uh-huh. Angular application. I, I also made on a video an article about that. If you if anyone wants to to see it, maybe we can put that on the on the links afterwards. But out of all the things that were released on Angular 14, one thing that people talked about a lot is standalone components. Right. I don't care about that, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to play the the other side. I'm going to say that the most interesting thing on Angular 14 was not standalone components. To me, I think it was the inject function. Uh-huh. The inject function to me is much more relevant because standalone components they they are not allowing you really to do anything that you couldn't do before. They're just allowing you to have less boilerplate. Right. Well, kind of. You're just throwing the everything that you would put in the module, you're putting in the component. So it's uh-huh. still there. But you type less. There's one less file. You don't have to right. have a module. But you could already do everything that you did before. You could still do it. Right. Now, the inject function, that's interesting because it allows you to do things that you couldn't do before. It allows you to use functional programming more. And mm-hmm. I am a huge fan of functional programming. 
been actually writing a book about that for for three years. It's a start and stop, start and stop. Eventually, it will come out. But the inject function is kind of like React hooks. Well, not kind of like. It is React hooks for Angular. React hooks was a big shift for React developers because it allowed them to have functional components that also used the state. Mm -hmm. It has a bunch of caveats. For example, they have to be executed in order. So if you have if conditions, sometimes you have big issues because internally the magic that React uses for hooks relies on them being executed in the same order. But they work. They work. Some people could say that you're cheating because you're using a function that is not really pure. It changes the value, but it works. Yeah, whatever. Angular did the same thing with the inject function. So for those that are not familiar with that already, Angular introduced a function that allows you to do injection, but you don't need a constructor. Because thus far, if you wanted to inject something, something in a class, you needed to do it in a constructor. Now you don't. Now you can have a function that inside this function, it calls an injected dependency. Uh So let's say that you have a function that wants to get a route parameter. Like the route parameter is the ID and you want to create a function that you call this function and it gives you back an observable of the route parameter ID. You would need to give this function the active route, the active route so that you can listen to the parameters and give you the observable of the parameter that you want. Mm-hmm. You don't need it anymore. You can create the same function and not take any arguments. It can be a function that doesn't take any arguments and somehow, magically, it gives you an observable of the ID route parameter. How can this be done? Internally, this function can call the inject function and inject the activated route internally. Mm. So that is something that we couldn't do before. And that allows us to create more reusable functions. Right. You can create, uh, I have myself created a function that takes ID of the route parameter and it gives you back an observable of the route parameter. Mm-hmm. And that way you can reuse that in all the components that want to listen to the route parameter. The caveat here is that same as React, there are very specific conditions that have to be met for it to work properly. In React, the hooks need to be executed in order. In Angular, they don't have to be in order. You can inject whatever you want in any order that you want. Uh, I'm not going to say that this means that Angular is better than React. I'll leave the audience to reach that conclusion themselves. But (laughs) the caveat here is that you can only use the inject function in the constructor. Uh, Ah, okay. Yeah, because... The, the issue that we had before, which is you needed to be in the constructor to inject something, still exists. Uh-huh. You right. can still only inject something in the constructor because that's the moment in which Angular, the dependency injector, instantiates the dependencies and injects them during the constructor. Uh-huh. But I was just saying that we can now do things, do functions that are not in the class. So why am I again talking about the constructor? How can we run a function in the constructor If it's just an isolated function, it's not even a class. So the thing is, you can write those functions, but when you use them in your component, you have to use them in the constructor. And Uh one way of using that in the constructor is by instantiating immediately. So when you have, for example, public user ID equals to, and then you call the function that gives you the observable of the user ID route parameter. That is just 
synthetic sugar from TypeScript. At the end, when you when you instantiate properties in your component directly, the what's happening under the hood is that this is being done in the constructor. So if you transpile uh-huh. TypeScript to JavaScript, those properties that you're instantiating as soon as you define the property, they are just being instantiated in the constructor. So you can call those functions when you instantiate your properties or right. even to be more explicit, you can actually in the component constructor call those functions. You should try to call them at any other point, it's going to fail. Uh, the function right. is not going to be able to inject the dependencies internally. So there are some situations where it can be a problem. And another huge problem is that if you don't have a consistent way of knowing which functions use the inject function internally, you can call a function outside the constructor because you didn't knew that it was uh-huh. using inject internally. So I, I even use a convention with my team, which is we always prefix the functions with the word use, just like React. Uh-huh. If you're creating a React hook, you you prefix it with use. So use mm-hmm. state, use right. user ID, whatever. So we prefix all the functions that use the inject function internally, we prefix them with the word use. So that way mm-hmm. we know that we can only use that function in the component constructor. Okay. So that was a long road, but that's all to say that with this function, we can, we have a different way, a different alternative to solving the issue that I proposed. So the, the issue, to recap to everybody, is we want to automatically unsubscribe to an observable when our component is destroyed to avoid right. memory leaks and other performance issues. But we don't want to copy and paste an ngon destroy everywhere. We don't want to extend another class. So the inject function allows us to do that in a different way. And I can't take the credits for that. The the other solution that I'm about to, to talk about here, I'm about to talk about. This other solution was proposed by Netano Bazal. I don't know if I'm uh-huh. pronouncing his name correctly. Right. But he has awesome articles about Angular. And what he made an article talking about the inject function. And in this article, he was showcasing examples of what you can do with this function. And one of the examples that he used is creating an until destroyed observable. So you can, I'll link his article too, but basically you can create a function called until destroyed. Uh I would call it use until destroyed just so that we know exactly that it's using the inject function internally. So imagine that you're creating a function called use until destroyed. This function takes no arguments uh-huh. And internally, this function injects the change detector ref. And when you're in a component, the change detector ref is a view ref, but you can't inject the view ref. Uh-huh. So the view ref uses the change detector ref token to be injected. So if you want to get the view ref, you need to inject the change detector ref. But anyway, right. you inject the change detector ref, you type it as view ref. You can even have type guards if you want to make sure uh-huh. that it is a view ref. And if you have the view ref, it has a method called onDestroy, which uh-huh. takes a callback function. So the view ref introduces, this is also new. I don't know if it was introduced in Angular 14, but I know that this is also new. The view ref introduced this onDestroy method that takes a callback. And what's uh-huh. what happens here is that, well, when the view of the component is about to be destroyed, it's going to call 
this callback function. So right. the same principle that we had, you can apply it here. But if you do it this way, you don't have to provide a service in the component. Right. You can just use the function without worrying about providing anything. So technically, it is a cleaner solution. In practice, I had issues with it because, well, first, it's not always that you're in a component or in the constructor. So that can lead to to errors. You have to be aware that you're using the inject function and you have to Mm -hmm. know all the caveats about using it. But also, when you're dynamically instantiating components, sometimes that just doesn't work properly. I have Uh in my lucaspaganini.com website, I have dynamic components because I don't just render regular markdown with my my articles. I render markdown, but with Angular elements on them. And when I render the Angular elements, I am not using the Angular converter to convert the Angular components into HTML elements. I'm not using that because I want to actually also have server-side rendering. So I'm actually rendering the Angular components. So I grab the module, instantiate the component. Everything that Angular does to render a component, I'm doing that Uh manually. And I'm doing that, like dynamically rendering Angular components from a Markdown file. Sometimes using the inject function blows away everything. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, it's probably my fault. I don't know why that happens. <laughs> I haven't found the bug. <laughs> I'm sure it was my fault. I'm sure it was my fault, but yeah. I, I haven't found the bug yet. So that's something to be aware of. And if I'm using the unsubscriber service, it works. So I'm still using that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, it definitely sounds cleaner because, yeah, I can customize it for each of the components. But Yeah. You can also, for example, one complaint that I had in a real codebase where we were using the unsubscriber service uh-huh. is that other devs complained about the fact that you can sometimes forget to provide the unsubscriber service in the component. And sometimes right. it still works because a parent component can have it. And then right. like, it, it works, it is going to unsubscribe, but it's going to unsubscribe when the parent component is destroyed, which right. sometimes is a feature. Sometimes that's what you want. Sometimes yep. you just forgot to provide in the component that you have. Yep. But even that, you can work around it in a native Angular way. I think maybe the workaround word was not the best one here because it sounds like I'm going to propose a hack. But <laughs> yeah. The dependency injection system has many tokens to customize how it works. Right. I imagine that people are going to be familiar with the optional token, which is when you want to provide something, but you don't know if it really is being provided. So you want to use the yeah. optional decorator because if it's not there, you don't want an error. You just want it to be null. Okay. And by the way, it's really interesting to know how that works. Like it's interesting because we have the root module and on top of it, we have the platform module and on top we have the new injector. So when it goes all the way up, like the new injector injects new or chosen error. But anyways, another topic. All right. We're talking about the ways that we can customize how the uh-huh. dependency injector injects our dependencies. So we right. have the optional decorator, which is a very popular one, but mm-hmm. there are others. There is self decorator, a skip self host. And I think that's it, actually. I don't think that we have others other than that. And what you can do to make sure that the instance of the unsubscriber service that you're getting is the one that was provided by your component and not by a parent component is you can use the self-decorator. 
in front oh, okay. of you. So when you when you inject, you can say like private read only underscore unsubscriber service is equal to the type unsubscriber not equal but uh, right. And then you can type it, and Angular is going to inject it. And you can use the at self decorator. And if you do that, if the component itself doesn't provide it, you're going to have an error. That's right. good because you will know that, oh, shit, forgot to provide it in the component. Uh -huh. So that's something that you can do to mitigate any issues. But it's good to know that because sometimes you do want to get the unsubscriber service from the parent. Right. But, but now it's an option. It's not because you forgot and did it wrong. Right. That's something that, that can be done too. Cool. Now, are there good ways of testing this? Yes. Actually, something that I forgot to say is the audience doesn't have to recreate that. I I wrote this unsubscriber service and I added that service to my Angular Utilities library, which uh -huh. is published on NPM, and it does have tests. So you don't have to worry about testing that because I'm already doing that in the library. But if okay. you want, you can also look at the source code and see how it's being tested. But if you just want to use it, you can just npm install at Lucas Paganini altogether, no spaces, slash Angular hyphen utils. So, right. And from there, you can import your subscriber service. But the test that I have internally is... I have a test component that provides the unsubscriber service and this test component is being rendered on another test component. So it's a child of another component. And this parent component is using ng-if to create and destroy the child component. So the test that I do is when the parent component destroys the child component, does it get an event from the unsubscriber service that it was destroyed? Yes or no. So that's the test yeah. that I do. And it works just fine. So that's the, the only test that, that I needed. Cool. Well, we're kind of getting toward the end of the time that I've got. So if people want to learn more, they want to reach out to you, see what you're working on or hire your company or anything like that, uh, how, how do they find you? Nice. Um, well, as a content creator, they can find my content on lucaspaganini.com. Even if you want to go to my YouTube channel, it's probably easier if you just type lucaspaganini.com because from there you can find links to all mm -hmm. other social media platforms. And from there, you can also subscribe to my newsletter, which I know that it sounds like I'm just plugging something here and just trying to get email subscribers, but it's uh, we're making it more and more valuable. Uh -huh. I don't want to give spoilers now, but our email subscribers will get extra content than the the audience that just watches our content and is not uh, subscribed to our email newsletter. And it's right. also free. We don't send spam. We just don't want to depend on YouTube or any other platform to deliver our content. Uh -huh. Right? That's like a huge dependency. So we don't want that. If you're interested in that, you can go to lucaspaganini.com slash newsletter. Subscribe to that. So as a content creator... You can find me there on Twitter and Instagram at Lucas Paganini too. And if you want to hire my company, you can go to our website is unvoid.com. So unvoid.com. And from there, you can find a contact form. You can find more information about what we do, how we do it. So that's also another channel that you can contact me and hire my team to do everything and make your company, your product awesome and as good as your backend is. Awesome. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? 
I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I try and create other opportunities and it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks and then we'll wrap up. You've listened to the show, so you understand picks, so I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to start it out, though. So uh, today, actually, and tomorrow, I'm going to be at a board game convention. It's called TimpCon, and it's it's just a local one here in Provo. And essentially what you do is you go in, you play board games all day with strangers and you can borrow games from the convention. The reason I'm going is because uh, one of my really good friends, he's one of my neighbors, he he's part owner in a board game store here in the north end of Utah County called Gamers Inn, if you want to go check them out and you live out here. But what they do is they, at TimpCon, they run like five or six tables with games that they've chosen. And then people can come and they can sit at the table and they have volunteers who teach the games, right? And so this evening from four to eight, I'm going to be teaching these five games. And they're, I mean, they're, they're relatively simple. Almost all of them are. But if you have a local board game convention and you like board games, go check it out. I mean, it's funny because I got into board game stuff off of Ruby Rogues, our first episode of Ruby Rogues, one of the hosts picked like five board games. And I, I realized there was this deeper world than Scrabble. So anyway, and I probably would have fallen into it at some point one way or the other anyway. But anyway, been really, really enjoying that. I get together with a bunch of friends and we play board games every once in a while. So we're going to be doing that. And then the rest of the time, yeah, I'll just be finding groups who are playing games or vendors who are demonstrating games and we'll, we'll check them out. So uh, I'm going to pick that. And then I've also been listening to a book series. My wife's best friend introduced us to them. They are kind of on the 
juvenile end in the sense that, you know, they're not, how do I put it? So like there's some books I listen to and it's like, yeah, these are kind of written for adults. These particular books are not written for adults. They're written for, you know, basically teenagers and preteens. So, so the reading level's a little lower. The story complexity is a little simpler, right? That kind of a thing. But the characters are fun. The plot's fun. You know, that you're, you're discovering new things about this different world. And so it's, it's a fun set of books. The first book's called Keeper of the Lost Cities. I'm hearing rumors they're going to make a movie out of it. I don't. It's on IMDb, but there's nothing there other than I guess Ben Affleck is putting it together. But anyway, so if you're looking for a book like that, or if you have the, the main protagonist is a 12 year old girl when you start. And so if, if you have kids about that age, they'd probably enjoy it because they probably have friends who are the goof off or the, the, the cute boy or whatever, you know, kind of the, some of the uh, characters that are in there. And then, but yeah, it's been fun. I've been, I've been enjoying it. Right. It's, it's not like my favorite set of books, but it, it's been really fun set of books. So I'm going to pick those. And then I'm just going to let folks know, um, I am launching the top end devs membership and just to give you an idea of what we're doing. So we're going to have two calls every week for about an hour. And I'm going to, I mean, I've been podcasting in dev for what, like 16 years. And so I'm going to be bringing in a lot of the people that I know from the development community over the years. And we're, we're going to have two one hour calls per week that are about sort of general topics. You know, one or two of them every month will be Q and A probably with me or with people that I know that are experts in some area that I know people have questions in. But for the most part, the rest of them, I'm just going to bring somebody in and they're going to kind of show us or help us understand or answer questions about a particular topic, right? And it's going to go beyond just technology, right? So some of it's going to be career focused, you know, networking with people, things like that. Or how do I manage my 401k or retirement plan? You know, and then, yeah, some of it's going to be how do I deploy my apps, right? And they'll teach some of the common principles there, right? So it'll be, it'll run the gamut. And then what I'm looking to do is every month have a one hour call for each of the areas that we cover on our shows. So there will be a one hour call every month on Angular and I'll invite, you know, Shai Resnick or whoever, right, to come and, and do a presentation and answer questions and, and help people with Angular stuff, right? And so that's, that's what I'm looking to put together with membership. And then beyond that, I'm also looking to add two weekly 10 minute videos on some concept in whatever, right? So in Ruby or JavaScript or Angular, right? And that'll all be included. And then we'll also have uh, premium feeds for all the shows. So Adventures in Angular, you can get it without the sponsor spots in it, right? And then it'll also have bonus episodes where we talk about some concept. So that's that's ultimately what I'm looking to put together. Some of the content areas beyond the calls may take me a little bit of time to get together, mainly because the biggest shows are JavaScript and Ruby. So I'm going to be focused on getting the bonus content together for that first. But you can still come join the conversation about all the other stuff. Right now, if you sign up, you can get it for $39. And I'm going to leave the price there until my birthday in December, which is December 14th. At that point, I'm raising the price and there will be two levels. So you're getting the premium level for $39. If you sign up after that, it's going to be $150 for the premium level and $75 for the basic level that just gets you the two main calls and one content area call 
every every month. So, you know, you won't get a lot of the other extras. So anyway, that's what we're putting together. You'll also get access to some of the courses as part of the deal. So yeah, and you'll get member pricing at the premium level on our summits. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because that's what we're doing. But what I found is that when I was new at programming, I wanted a group of people that I could just come and nerd out about this stuff with on a regular basis. And I'd go to the meetup groups, but they were like once a month. And I wanted something more than that. And most of the time I was working with coworkers that just weren't that invested, right? They, they wanted to be good enough to get their paycheck. You know, they wanted to look good at work, but that was it. And so, and, and I just love this stuff and I love talking about it. So I want to create a place where those folks can come and, and be part of it. So anyway, that's what I'm putting together. You can go check it out at topendevs.com slash sign up. It'll take you to the right place. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Lucas, what are your picks? Let me help you on that um, real quick, because people sometimes say, oh, but it's going to be expensive, $150. But the thing is, uh, oh, I can get this information for free elsewhere. Every information you can get for free somewhere. The Mm -hmm. thing is just about how long it's going to take. So every time you make an investment on a good course, or in a good membership, such as what you are offering, you just jump ahead. You take shortcuts. And not in the bad sense. You, It's a shortcut because you're not having to learn something and then afterwards conflicting information with a different instructor. Like somebody says, do it this way. And then you watch an, another free content and somebody says, do it this other way. So you get, what should I do? Uh, and also, how can I get this information in a structured way? That actually takes me to where I want to go. And it goes outside of the basic content because you can find a lot of basic Mm -hmm. content out there. But what about the in-depth, what comes afterwards? So every time you make an investment on something like that, you can't just think about the fact that there's the free content online. You have to think about how long it would take for you to find and consume and figure out which of those free contents are actually good and which should be ignored. So it is a steal. People, uh, the whole world created this barrier of if it's over a hundred dollars, I'm not going to invest in it because that's too much. And maybe that's part because of all the course platforms that sell courses for Uh $5 and they created this weird situation where people devalue the knowledge that they can get from a good course. But if it's a really well done product, like somebody put their time and Mm -hmm. energy and the knowledge that they got from their lives into it, to me, it's worth much more than $100. So um, I think that's something that the audience needs to consider too. If if they need that knowledge, you should also consider that. Like what would be the price of getting that knowledge for free technically? What would Mm -hmm. be the price of getting it without paying dollars if you try to get it yourself from the free content? How many hours are you going to spend on it? What's the value of your hour, right? But yeah, so the the other thing I'll add is that I'm getting you in the room with these people, right? Because we're going to do like Zoom calls is is what I'm looking at. So, you know, if we have Kent Beck and you're on the call, I mean, we're getting you in the room with Kent Beck and with people like him. So anyway, there's a networking price too. Yeah. Right. Okay. But my picks. So I noticed that some people pick technology, others pick Mm -hmm. fun. So I was very <laughs> uh, conflicted yep. there. So I brought Do both. both. Yes, yeah. exactly. I brought both. 
So in terms of tech, I am picking Flavio Almeida's Angular courses. I'll be honest, I don't know if they are available in English, but I just, I had to give a shout out to Flavio Almeida. Uh-huh. Uh, on, on Twitter, he is Flavio H. Almeida, because when I was starting out, I learned so much from his courses. So this is one of those examples that we were talking about when you pay for a course and you learn so much from it that uh-huh. it's well worth the investment that you made. So yep. he is an awesome instructor. Great didactics. Learned so much from him. And I'm also going to pick Hot Trump. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's Tot, like from Tot and Tram, like T-R-A-M. They they have blog articles about Angular and their articles are very in-depth. I don't think they are very well recognized for the content that they do, but I have learned in more than one occasion very in-depth things with their blog articles. So I'm going to also pick Tot train uh, uh-huh. they they have a, a very good article about portals it's from them that I learned how to dynamically uh, create components and elements with angular so highly recommend both if you happen to understand Portuguese Flavio Almeida's course is awesome I'm sure that he he's probably he probably has content in English too but I'm not so sure but if you understand Portuguese definitely check out Flavio Almeida's courses. And if you just understand English, thought, thrum, very good too. So these are my tech picks. Lucas Paganini seems to also be very good at Angular if you want to check it out. <laughs> He's uh, a good guy from what I hear. Good guy from what I hear. <laughs> and for fun picks, I will pick Overcooked. So if you are tired of being frustrated with code, you can now be frustrated with your gaming and cooking skills. Uh-huh. I love that game. I'm always playing that with my brother. It's it's very popular, but it's it's one of those games that you just enjoy so much being frustrated at it that you just can't stop. The idea is you have dishes that you need to prepare and you just you have to do them fast. So you're basically managing a kitchen, right? So you need to cook the dishes and give them to the customers as fast as possible so, th- so that you can get better tips. It's a very, very nice game you can play. I'm always playing offline, so you can you can play with up to four people locally, so that's nice. And you can do that with only two controllers. I thought that was really uh-huh. interesting. They, they divide the controller, so even if you only have two controllers, you can play with up to four people because... Two people can use the same controller. The right-hand side of the controller goes to one person and the left side to another. That was very interesting, very creative way to deal with this constraint. And I'm also picking Game Night, which is a movie. You can watch it on HBO, uh, the streaming platform. Very Mm -hmm. funny. So if you want to actively engage with something, overcook it. If you want to just passively watch a movie, then Game Night, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. It's one of those cheesy comedy movies, but it's just, there are some particular scenes that you're like, <laughs> that's great. That was so funny. So I highly recommend that. That movie was one of the best comedy movies that I watched in a very long time. I had a lot of trouble laughing at comedy movies, but this uh-huh. one was on point. Good deal. 
Yeah, Thought Ram is Pascal Precht, who's been on the show before in his group. So yeah, good stuff there. Yeah, I'll have to check out those movies and stuff. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for coming. This was awesome, Lucas. Thank you. Hope to be back in the future. There are a hundred more topics that I'm sure we can explore. Oh, there yeah. Only, between us, Charles, there are only three topics that I feel good talking about, that I feel like I have enough depth to talk about them, which is uh-huh. Angular, TypeScript, and Functional Programming. So if you want to talk about Angular... Uh, Those are pretty broad topics. <laughs> I think we'll, I think we, I think we can find stuff. <laughs> All right. Well... Until next time, folks, max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.